2: The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts.
3: Hello. Welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. First of all, can I just say to Raymond Martin, thank you for that bottle. It will go down very, very nicely. The Six Nations takes a week off, but it's World Rugby that has everyone talking this week here to discuss it all. With me is the Olympic Sevens and World Cup winning coach, Ben Ryan. Hello, Ben. World Rugby's World League. This is a bit like when the ECB announced the plans for the 100. Well, they weren't really plans, were they? They were no. just going to have yeah. 100. They'd done some research with Mumsnet, and that was it. And everybody was left to guess what it was going to be, how it was going to take place, where, what, and everything. Now, if World Rugby, and I like Brett Goss, but I think he's a very good CEO, he's a sound man, if he wants to complain about people getting things wrong, perhaps World Rugby ought to have a definitive statement on their website as to actually what this World League is or is not. Because to come out and say, it's important to note that some assumptions made regarding the statement and proposed competition structure are inaccurate, that important matters such as playing load and emerging nation opportunities are at the heart of constructive dialogue on the overall concept. It takes us no further forward. Who knows? And we are left to guess. And if we guess wrong, then I'm sorry, we don't want to guess wrong. But if you don't have a definitive source from which to quote, we're going to make mistakes. And you know what? It's not our fault. It's your fault. So don't do it like this. Ben, as far as you're aware, <laughs> what what is the proposal?
4: Well... Firstly, like I haven't I haven't said anything, and, and obviously you get people that think that oh, I know a little bit about the Pacific, so that so I'll, I've been badgered to to say something, and because it was all it's all rumor at the at the start, and and my my understanding was that there was no way that Fiji were going to be taken out of this, or Samoa or Tonga taken out of this proposal. So I see it as it's going to be two divisions, top twelve seeds in the first that are based on world rugby rankings, and then a second division the same, and they'll base it on. Existing competitions, Super Rugby and Six Nations and then airlift in any additional teams that aren't in those top 12. So Fiji go into the, into the, to the championship in New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, etc.
3: So when the report is that it was going to be the four countries that play in the rugby championship at present, plus the USA and Japan, Yeah,
4: don't not necessarily true. so. No, because both of those aren't in the top 12. So yes, if they get promoted.
3: So. Well, for start off, Italy are ranked 14th. And yet they are in the Six Nations now. I can't see the Six Nations Committee wanting to change the format and allow someone in in place of Italy because the agreements are already there. Yeah.
4: That, so this will be the. I mean, this is some of the fine print that I imagine like we're not privy to, and it's it's rumour. So you know, when when do you decide on when you shut the door on the rankings to see that top twelve? You know, when when's that happen? Because if we say that at the moment Georgia twelfth, Italy fourteenth. As we know, in a month's time with a couple of fixtures, they could be reversed. We don't, So so none of that's clear. But also, like, you know, I agree with you about this bit that all, all the statements are half-arsed that have come out based on the start point, which was a leaked information to, to the press in New Zealand. And everyone, as a result of that, has been super negative about this. Now, I can see the positives in that Fiji will get to play top-tier nations regularly. That does not happen. And that will give them... A, serious chance to have proper game time against you, New Zealand's Australia, South Africa's on a regular basis
3: well one of the big things straight away was when it was rumoured that it was ring fenced and was going to shut out the island nations and obviously they reacted with fury and yep. I think it was it Samoa who said look we provide nearly 20% of the world's players yep. if our players don't play you're going to have a different competition yeah and well, Ruby, I understand, have tried to resile somewhat from a position that no one actually, uh, not even resiling because no one knows what the b-
4: is going on anyway. That, so that's, that's the issue, isn't it? That no one's been clear about this. And, and they're gonna, now yeah. saying,
3: actually, we weren't against promotion and relegation, but other forces were. And one of those forces will definitely be the committee, the Home Unions Committee that runs the Six Nations, because they have shut their face Against promotion and relegation for the foreseeable future,
4: yep, and we haven't yet, you know, uh, now there are a few do some good things, but I've yet to see them doing something in the global game that is actually for the overall benefit of world of the world game, not just to to make sure that they're going to be looked after. So yeah, you're right, there's loads of stuff that's that they've got to get to, and I think half the point was this was leaked at a point where they're still at the very early stages of consultation and working all this out, and suddenly, you know that nice little brainstorming session that they would have had in Los Angeles has been put out in the press before they've had point to have any real sort of assurity on what they're trying to do. And I think the second thing is, you know, the question is, well, when are they going to have it? And that leads then to a serious question about now they have to do it properly, where we have a global season. Because We've the proposal I calendar.
3: understand is that the Southern Hemisphere, for want of a better title, Southern Hemisphere Six Nations goes ahead, Mm. the Six Nations goes ahead, then there's a semi-final and a final. Mm. Is that Mm. what you understand? Yeah, that's
4: how I understand it. But again, we're basing this on a a press leak that we're just not sure whether it's true or not. And it still was in the gestation period of trying to work out what they want to do. Because at first it
3: was said to be an annual competition, bar World Cup years. mm. Now it's mooted that it's biannual, obviously... Who knows where the Lions fit into this? We were assured that um, it's protected in the overall structure and the global calendar or whatever. I, ju- I mean, I just can't see how it can be.
4: It can be if they, they look at this from, in the long term and they look at seeing that we need to solve this whole, the whole global game you know, needs, needs to, be, to be fixed as far as the timings of it all. You know, there's so so much overlap. And even if you look at simple logistical things like under-20s World Cups, clash clash with World Sevens or d- various different things, and that, that stretches resources at World Rugby. I think the Lions thing is a bit of a moot point. I don't think anyone wants it to disappear. Will it, will it lose some of those warm-up games or will it not have that protection of the amount of weeks there and they'll have, to, they'll have to change that a little bit? Yes, maybe. But they've also got other things like Olympics every four years, World Cups every four years, Commonwealth Games every four years that has rugby included in it as well. If they plan and they do it properly and they say, right, this isn't going to happen effectively till maybe post-World Cup France 2023, and then we're, into, then we're into a calendar that everybody's aligned with. And TV, But if you're
3: talking about alignment... Do you mean that one or other of the hemispheres has got to move their season?
4: That's it. It's got to, or, or they've got, there's got to be some recalibration, whether it's a full movement. But if you speak to TV, they will say summer sport for rugby is what they would prefer in, in the Northern Hemisphere because of the lack of sport that's generally happening in the summer in the team sports, the clash with football in the UK in the winter, and then also from crowds and everything else, and it would probably be a better spectacle. That's like, a big I, change, though.
3: I completely understand that. The biggest objection I can see to that is not from the elite game, where they're able to look after the pictures and they always, you know, be properly watered and you know always have grass yeah. on them. But I know from going around the country, just speaking at dinners of junior clubs, they're concerned about this because they say we literally do not have the finances necessarily to make sure that all the pictures in a summer yeah. that turns out to be a really hot summer are playable they could be absolutely bone hard and that will be the same here or down under whichever one has to move
4: and can you could you get to a situation where you have the professional elite game in the summer and you still have your clubs your day your, your normal stuff your minis your juniors the the non professional element of the clubs, which is the majority of rugby played in around the world, that that is does not change and that stays in yeah, winters. Yeah, I'm sure and you then, could. And then you just do you have to change the global calendar at the elite level?
3: I'm absolutely sure you could, and yeah. I don't actually see much of a problem with that.
4: Me neither. So, and that's where I see that there's a big positive on this. I'm with you. I'm big. F- I, I think Brett Gosper does a great job. I think World Rugby have it's just been really awkward all of this, but everyone's gone totally negative on it and not gone actually. There's opportunity for emerging nations. There's a possibility of promotion and relegation. There's a chance where you don't just get found out if you're lucky enough to have a test match against England at Twickenham in November. It's actually, you will get that if you're in the position of those seedings.
3: Anyway, let's return to the Six Nations because that is going to be upon us very, very short in the fourth round. Chris Robshaw, the return of Chris Robshaw. Maro Toji is also fit, I understand. And Jonathan... Joseph, Uh, Robshaw been impressing for Quinn since his return and you could make a case for him being one of the most consistent performers club and country for the last three years Mm. I'm not surprised he's back in, Mm. I think he should be back Mm. in Itoji will almost certainly come straight back in if he's properly fit What about Joseph, what about players like Dan Robson?
4: Yeah, I agree with all of those. I think Dan Robson probably could get a start. I think it depends what they want to use this game for. You know, you don't want to devalue the fixture. You don't want to put people in just because you're giving people a rest. You want to see whether they are legitimately at the level that Eddie wants and will fit into the patterns that he wants. So for Rob Shaw's a no-brainer for me. Like He's returning from a fairly lengthy injury. Let's see if he's back up to test, test status, which from his club form, Quinn's are going brilliantly at the moment.
3: Well, if you're not going to play you know, Robson against Italy when yeah, are you going to yeah, play yeah. him
4: no I agree I, th- I think like I've read a bit about like are they going to give Ford a run at 10 and it's like well why would you do that like is it because you're looking at a scenario where you might lose Farrell in the World Cup well we know that if you lose Farrell in the World Cup the team's not going to be as good you can tell you that without Ford having to step on the field as starting 10 and actually Farrell's important to get all the other combinations moving and you wouldn't. It'd be unfair to suddenly give Robson a test match start and then put Ford in as his partner, and not the experience of Farrell. And the same if you're going to mess around with putting Joseph in at thirteen, don't mess around with ten. So I'd be keeping Farrell in there. Robshaw for me would come in, and Toji's obviously you know world class, and um, and then with Courtney injured anyway as well, that that you can see that working. And he might want to play around with the back three as well. You know there's, they've got four very very good wingers in my opinion. In May, Null a Singer and and also Oli Forley, which who I think is fantastic player. The times I've seen him play for Gloucester, I think he he's someone that would go. That would be a really nice positive move to see him get a run out. We know that that Johnny May is is you know nailed on as a starter. So let's see potentially if one of those can can make the can make the the move up as well.
3: And if they make those sort of changes, you're not disrupting the overall flow too much, are you? because a lot happens before <laughs> wingers get the ball. Yeah, okay, yeah. they can obviously counter-attack and they can do that as a three, but you can work on that in training. And to a certain extent, it just depends on what opportunities present themselves in the game, you know, with kicks and, you know, a loose ball anyway. Yeah. So you can understand that. stat of the moment, Henry Slade has scored more tries and he's made passes in the <laughs> Six Nations. Three tries, two passes. For reference, one two lines. He's made six passes. Not enough.
4: No, not enough at all. And that, but that's because they've gone to the air more than they've gone to to the space and to, to putting people in space with with hands. So, again, if you want to see whether Henry can, and he can, because he's a wonderful distributor, and he was age group at ten as well, you know, and you want your your midfield to be line breaking, distributing, and decision making, and. and you know, we, we probably want to stick with if We think that's the starting midfield. I'm, again, I'm probably the only one that thinks Elliot Daly should be playing at 13 and give him a run there and then see what options you've got at fullback of. And there's a few. Italy game, don't don't mess around too much. Those changes that we talked about make sense on every level. Certainly, you know, the 10 changes that perhaps Wales made for that Italian game, they were looking at the bigger picture. They were looking at the week later against England. Um, for England, they're we'll staying in the present a bit more. And just keep working on these, on these, uh, on these combinations. That's how I would certainly look at it. Well,
3: it was an important game at Murrayfield because Wales, who are chasing the Grand Slam, still they have to go there. Very pleased to say, we can speak to the former Scotland and the British Lions fly half about this. Craig Chalmers, hello, Craig. How
1: are you doing, mate? Yeah.
3: The injuries—they've got a little bit better in this sense. W. P. Nell, Sam Skinner, Hamish Watson—they're all. Back in the mix, but Stuart Hogg won't be fit. Ferguson, McGuigan, and Gordon Reid also added. Is that enough for Scotland to perform for 80 minutes? Because they're due a whole game performance, aren't they?
1: You know, it's a massive help, I think, to have uh, Hamish Watson and WP Nell back really important. Um, the one you didn't actually mention there. Who's back is Finn Russell, and Finn played. He played last week for Racing after being um, HIA put out of the uh, of the French game with HIA. He was back playing for Racing last week, and but he's he's fit and healthy and ready to go. I think he's a massive difference for us. The big issue I have with Scotland at the moment is probably in the centres. You know we've got missing Hugh Jones, Alec Dunbar's out of favour, who was a a big ball carrier for us in there, but Johnson Sam Johnson has done pretty well in his first couple of caps. So I think yeah we're we're not too bad shape. Miss Hogg obviously at full back for that real cutting edge, but we've got to play to the best of our ability to to beat this Welsh team who are chasing a you know a Grand Slam, and you know it's it's a record breaking Welsh team who you know most wins in 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 concess, consecutively. Can't get it out. Easy for to say it? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's gonna be it's a massive, it's a massive hurdle for us. But if, you know, if, if we get some ball and we can, you know, we can play that fast game, we'll certainly ask Wales one or two questions. And I don't think it's gonna be a certainly not gonna be a, a walkover or a, an easy run in the park for them. I think Scotland will ask them some serious questions um, in, in the back line I think with Finn and the back three we have, you know, I think with Maitland, you know. Seymour, and, and Kinghorn, you know, he makes one or two silly mistakes at times, but he's got real ability going forward. If he can get the ball in his hands in space, then, you know, he can, he, can cause, uh, he can cause a real some problems out wide. So, yeah, listen, you've got to be optimistic. It's been a pretty poor um, six Nations so far for us, apart from maybe the first 60 minutes against Italy and the first half against Ireland. But apart from that, it's been, it's, it's been disappointing. But, uh, as I say, you know, a few guys back, it will be a huge help.
3: What are you going to do about discipline? Because Scotland have conceded the most amount of penalties of our thirty. Now, Scotland are not ne- not normally uh, ill ill disciplined, and uh, you know we're not we're not talking about people being stupid and punching. You know, we're talking about people leaving a hand in there, not quite rolling away, and that sort of thing. Now, I don't equate Scotland with that usually.
1: Oh, no, it's not. I mean, maybe, maybe in the early 90s, maybe, really, but um, not not so much now. The discipline is pretty good. You know, you try and keep the penalty count to under 10. You know, single figures is, is, is pretty good in, in, in a game that I've been nowadays if you give away less than 10. But we've been giving away far too many silly penalties. Some easy outs for teams as well, you know, letting teams out of the 22 pretty easily. But for me, the biggest, biggest thing that Scotland's got to clear up. Is we've got to put more phases together. We've got to put more, you know, build more pressure on on teams, and you know, ask some questions that way. We've been turning the ball over far too easily at times in games, and uh, you know, we just can't afford these basic simple mistakes. And sometimes they're not even forced; they're unforced errors, which you know we've got to start start cleaning up. But uh, you know, I'm sure Gregor and you know Matt Taylor, they'll have you know they'll look closely at this you know over the first three games and. And I think it's going to be a cracking game on Saturday. I think uh, the Welsh, obviously, they're in, they're in good form. You know, they're buoyant after the result against the the English a couple of weeks ago. So they're coming up full of confidence. But you know, Scotland will certainly not change the way they play. I think they'll play exactly the same way they've been playing and and playing quite effectively over the last couple of years under Gregor. So you know, I think it's going to be a, a good spectacle and a, a good game to watch as long as the weather's dry.
4: Hey Craig Ryan here. Hope you're well, mate. Um, how you doing, all right? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm just looking at the halfbacks, maybe, and you sort of obviously your area of expertise. I guess it's the same the same answer. If you were playing at the ten, who would you prefer to have, Price or Laidlaw? And do you think that, that makes a big difference to how Scotland are going to play at the weekend on who they choose?
5: Well, I, I
1: do think I do think they should start Price this game. I think he just he's cooking cooking things up, you know the speed, you know. Sometimes he makes some pretty rash decisions and goes and he shouldn't go. It's getting that balance right. Mm. Greg, I think Greg is fantastic, a good player and understands the game so well. You know, I don't think he's played as well this season, so I think it might be time for Greg to just you know shake it up a little bit, give mm. Bryce a start and let him see how he goes. You know, give him that responsibility from the start. So I think Finn Russell, you know, nailed on starter at ten for me. And he, I think he's mature since he's gone to, to Paris. I think he's he's uh, making better decisions over the 80 minutes, and his accuracy with his with his kicking, touchline kicking, that kind of stuff. Where he used to miss one or two kicks at to touch, you know, he, he's not doing that now. He's not making those basic basic, mm-hmm. basic errors. So, no, I, I like this. I'd like to see Price start in the big buddies. So I think that they can maybe work well, and you know, cause Wales one or two problems.
4: And what about in the back three? You talked about Kinghorn and Darcy Graham. Do you think they deserve a chance, or would you stick with Maitland and Seymour as your as your two wingers?
1: I I would love to see Darcy Graham get a shot. Yeah. I think uh, I think he's a uh, he's a bit like a, a bit like a Shane Williams. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a live wire, great feet. He's maybe not the the fastest in a straight line, but it's the speed of uh, change of direction, and and he's he's got really really fast feet. And he's, and he's just young he's young he's, he's, he's very very keen and he's got no fear and uh, you know he's, a, he's He's. I think he does have a lot of a chance it might just be a chance for Gregor you know we're not going to win the tournament we want him to fin- finish as high as possible obviously but you know it may be a chance for Gregor just to see these guys in, under real pressure in a massive game at Murrayfield to see what they can take in the World Cup so and I'd, I'd personally like to see Darcy start I think King Horn, we all start at Um, you know. That's where he plays for Edinburgh week in, week out, and uh, you know he's done well. He, he's done pretty well this season for them, and done reasonably well for Scotland apart from a couple of small errors here and there. But yeah, yeah, you I know, give you the chance. I think I think our wingers. I think Maitland has, has been okay. Uh, uh, Seymour has been okay this year. Maybe not quite as being, maybe not getting the ball in the hands quite as much as as I would like to see, but or maybe even going looking for the ball a bit more and try to get involved more in the game uh, for me so I think it'll be a very open game
3: Well Craig Scotland will be the usual position of having every English supporter cheer them on so Oh, that must be something.
1: I'm 18. <laughs> <Mate>. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not my other way around, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: Yeah. I remember. Was it Australian No, anyway. <laughs> mate, good to, good to speak to you again. Uh, let's hope it's a cracker at least um, at Murrayfield. Thank you.
1: Cheers, guys. Cheers, boys.
3: So, that's one side of the story. Why don't we get a Welsh perspective? Great that we can talk to the former Welsh scrum half. Rupert Moon. Hello, Rupert. How are you, Brian? I'm all right, mate. Three games, three wins, three scrum halves. (laughs) (laughs) Davies, Davies, and Williams. Who do you think's come out best so far? Do you know, they've all provided in their own inimitable fashion something different,
6: and I think that's uh, what Catland is very cute at, is that of this six nations, he's unearthed uh, talent that was already there, but in a slightly different way but young guys that have been able to step up in difficult circumstances certainly in Paris and in uh, Italy. So it's real pleasing for me because uh, there's so many games between now and the World Cup uh, you want players to be able to have experience.
3: Well one of them is going to get the second start so which one do you think you will go for?
6: I think you will go with Gareth again on, on the weekend I just having played against Scotland like you have they are like wild banshees and they'll be feeling like they're an underdog, even though they don't actually say that out loud, that you need a steady physical head. And Gareth's got that physicality because their back row is pretty tenacious and, and they will come. And so, um, yeah, him with his ex- more experience and physicality, I think that's what's required to start the game, not let Larry finish it.
3: Well, Lee Halfpenny is available. Now, normally, you'd simply say he goes... Straight back in, but given Liam Williams' last performance, man the match performance, undeservedly so, is he likely to be shifted to the wing to accommodate Halfpenny, or might they be tempted to leave it as it as it was? Yeah, I think he may figure on the bench,
6: but uh, I think they'll they'll keep allowing him to play. Otherwise, I watched him on Saturday night. Against uh, Munster in very tricky conditions, and he looked sharp, he looked powerful, um he kicked well, uh, terrible conditions, and they they ground out a good win. but again, it's nice to have a world class individual coming back to full fitness, and there's no need to uh, to rush him back. You know I'm pleased uh, you know that we've got the likes of Toby Fallatau and Aaron Shingler and Jake Ball and others yet to join this group of players you know, on this journey to the World Cup.
4: Hey, Rupert Ben-Ryan here. I, I, I'm going to have a chat about the 10s. Do you think that Anscombe and the and the bigger question on who is going to start is continuing to endure, really, and roll on? Do you think it's in any way detrimental to to Wales at all that they haven't yet sort of decided who they're pinning their colours to?
6: They have decided. They know what they're doing. He knows what he's doing. He knows that it's an Anscombe start and it's a bigger finish. And that's the that's what he's got, and he's got Patchell in the background uh, with the capabilities of stepping into either of those roles because he's slight, a bit of a hybrid of both. Mm. And so uh, Anscombe gives him that organisation and looseness. Uh, what bigger does is can close a game down and be cool under pressure and not exhausted and think straight. I like a start and finisher. I don't. I, I think that when I used to play it, it, this game is like basketball and netball. You know, they, the player now has a role and responsibility. Of maybe 20 minutes or 50 minutes or 60 minutes and that's his that's his job and Wales are quite comfortable the way it is and I like Bigger and the the debate can roll on outside of Wales but I'm pretty sure Gatlin knows what he's doing and I'm sure those players know what they're doing and Bigger will be comfortable in that role and enjoys it I think as he saw on Saturday Mm.
3: Are Wales now comfortable with being favourites and are they going to stop pretending they're underdogs? Yeah, we just do it for show, don't we? <laughs> you know, and, uh, we're in the
6: within the most that I stand, you know, I, I stood in a dinner on Friday night. This is the most successful period in the history of Welsh rugby. My son, who's twelve, doesn't know Wales that loses very often. You know, they they've pulled out some amazing victories for a nation with three and a bit million. You know, it's we are our our Wales team is like one of the. You know, it's a it's a fully fledged, looked after playing group. That get play only so many minutes a year. And so their player welfare is sorted. They've got, they blended the young players in acutely over the last three years. They've gone to, played Samoa down there in New Zealand and won, played Tonga away. They've been to Argentina and won. You know, Seb Davis and Adam Beard were calling lineouts down against Samoa in the horrible conditions in New Zealand when they were 21, 22. You know, these these are young, and so you know Adam Beard playing on Saturday. He's no worry against Scotland because he's even though he's <laughs> he's still in his nappy. He's another Allen win. There's a few second rows still there. and there's, That's the bit I like. Is the youngsters mixing with the older ones and they're growing together.
3: Well, quite against usual wisdom and all expectation, the domestic structure of the game has not produced anything. You know, by way of note of performance, but Scarlet's accepted, probably. There's now rumours that it's going to be overhauled, a new region in North Wales. For me, not just a question of getting new regions, again, it's a question of sorting out the old structure and making it work. What do you think of the new proposals? <laughs>
6: Whatever whatever they decide, it will be the right decision because they've made the decision. The Wales national team, which Grand Slams, semi-final of the World Cups, beating England in the way that they have done in 11, 13, 15, 19, significant victories, which makes money. They sold the naming rights. They've got full sponsorship, corporate hospitality. That feeds the game, the community game, and the regional game. Yes, it's nice if the regional teams won, It would be lovely, and there's been pockets of success. But in reality, is that an essential part, that we win the European Cup or the Fro 14? I don't think so. I think it's more important that we're blooding talent, young talent, playing at a high standard and giving our experienced players enough game time that they can perform at their best ability for Wales.
3: Last question. Uh, Would Rob Evans make a good Brexit secretary? Because he's claimed Theresa May... (laughs) wants him to do that i mean look he can't be worse than the other
6: (laughs) look it's great to have personalities and characters and you always worry in the academy system that they don't they don't have the personality and the characters and their leaders i like to see the fact that he's doing something different and being outspoken and with a personality we don't want everybody to be so focused on win-win-win and not having a laugh and enjoying it and he's Popping at number 10, I could see he could do a damn decent job anyway. He could, he could run the, the United States of America as well, he could, I'm sure.
3: Rupert, we're going to leave it there. Great to speak to you as always. Thank you very oh, much. Man. Rupert Moon, former Wales fly half. Here's a stat for you, uh, Ben. Wales scored the same amount of tries as Scotland so far, seven. Penalty count, Scotland 30, Wales 19. Yeah, that
4: that's, yeah, says it all. Well, it doesn't say it It says a lot, actually. Yeah, it does say a lot. And it shows you how disciplined they are but, and also how... You know how well they managed the game. I guess that's the right way mm-hmm. to put it. There's probably some penalties that that have uh, have disappeared and gone to the op- gone the other way because of the, how well they've done it, and uh, Alan wynne Jones and and the rest. So yeah, no, it's, it's it's teed up well. I thought Rupert had some really interesting. No, well, his idea about that it doesn't. That the provinces are really a bonus if they do well. It's about the national team, and he eloquently explained that financially and both in performance. And we don't have that in England. You know, the clubs ha- have a lot of power, and and it's 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 not quite as united. Well, well he's
3: well. absolutely right. If it continues to produce the quality of player that mm. it is, mm. you just wonder. How long that can go? Because it seemingly that's counterintuitive, isn't it? I...
4: Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is a little bit because you, you, I guess, you think in a few years' time if they if they're playing in clubs that aren't winning regularly, and then they're expected then to win regularly for their, in the national jumper, they, they, there is a disconnect there. So you're right, but I, 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 yeah, it made sense how he explained that, and and that is, and you can see that they have got some, you know, a great deal of success as well as a great coaching staff and um, and some great age group stuff as well.
3: Well, talking about uh, clubs and the domestic game and how that does or doesn't affect the internationals, uh, over the weekend, I watched Paris take on Toulouse. Mm. And you know what? It was an awful game. Yeah. It was a smash awful. It was just mistake-ridden. I mean, they're announcing their squad 8 a.m. Uh, Tuesday. Para isn't part of it because mm. he's injured. Toulouse came off Bezé, who's a tidy player. Mm. Will take his place. End of Parra's international career. Do you think?
4: Well, I think Dupont now is showing that you know he is the player that I think uh, anyone that's watched him play for a while now knows knows that he is and he should be a, he should be the one of those that that they form their team around over the next few years and along with Entomac? along with Entomac. two absolutely. Two right, come you know, how they are world class and they just need time on the ground now and to be consistently played in those positions. And enter needs to be played at ten at Toulouse as well. Yeah, look, top 14, the quality of those games are slow and attritional, and they're lacking the quality that they've had maybe five years ago. So, I'm not surprised she said that about that game at, at all.
3: Is there any reason why they're announcing their squad so much earlier?
4: There's, look, there's no hard and fast rule. There's only a deadline at the end. So they probably would have wanted just to let the clubs know because there's a top 14 next weekend, uh, I think. And so, you know, that that just gives them all a little bit more time. And if they know their minds and why hold it back, they're not, they don't need to play mind games particularly. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't read into that either way, really.
3: Are they going to stick with the same centres?
4: Ooh, that's Playing a one <laughs> prop
3: and one... <laughs> well, for Fana, run.
4: for Fana, might get might might get pulled back in, and again, like I'd love to see Peno in there at thirteen, and whether they end up now starting to to change things around him and and move that back three around a little bit again. So I, I think Peno a fantastic player; he's a brilliant player. And this is what you know: there's there's lots of stuff. And what's I mean, happened
3: with Dumaio because he was the form centre in Europe um, for La Rochelle. You know, well, certainly twelve months ago.
4: Yeah, I'm not sure if he picked up an injury, but yeah, you're right. He he's also a terrific player. I think he might have picked up an injury, and I don't know if Joseph was playing for Paraphrasing the young eighteen-year-old at number eight. You know, again, you know, he, he's raw, but he's an eighteen-year-old that looks like he's got he's got he's got it together. So there is a fine crop of young youngsters, and as we saw last last week, you know, they're, they're starting to be given some game time. So it's a, it's it is the long game for France and. Uh, and, and hopefully they won't mess around with the selection and they'll pick those youngsters again this weekend.
3: And they might pick them in the They're place right. where they play for the clubs because <laughs> it seems th-
4: to work. Who knew? There's always a chance.
3: Well, France go to Ireland uh, this weekend. Uh, last year's match, obviously, saw an incredible sexton drop goal after 40-plus phases. Look, Ireland have not got off to a brilliant start, nor have France. Uh, why don't we discuss if there are any problems and what there are with the former Ireland prop, regular contributor to the podcast, great insight, Reggie Corrigan. Hello, Reggie. Hey, Brian, how are you? Okay, two bits here. What do you attribute the general lack of spark to Ireland's performances so far and the form which has been below par for their stellar talents of the Sexton and Murray combination?
5: Yeah, it's uh, certainly intriguing, all right. I mean, I think everybody here certainly came into this championship with very high expectations and thinking uh, we have a great chance, maybe, of retaining the title. Um, And you mentioned the game last year. I suppose last year's game was the catalyst to Ireland to go on and do as well as they did. And as you well know, Brian, quite often that can be the case. It can be situations where... You look back on it and you say, well, there's a championship moment. That drop goal by Johnny Sexton was the reason that they went on and they kicked on from there. And I think equally so, it can work the other way. And I think that's what's happened to Ireland a little bit. Certainly against England, they were below par that day. The better better team won on the day. There's no question about that whatsoever. Why, you ask, is that the case? Well, that's... (laughs) $64 million question that we'd all love to know the answer to. I think there are some contributing factors. I think we can't ignore the lengthy injury list that we do have. Um, and I suppose certainly here, especially after the 2015 World Cup, where we kind of felt, well, the strength wasn't there in depth for us to manage without five or six key players being there, we thought we'd kind of overcome that a little bit because we were bringing through so much young talent. But I think we've seen that essentially while we do have a huge amount of young talent there and a fantastic squad, you still need your big names and you still need your top players performing in order to do well in this championship. And I think that's what's let us down a little bit. And there's no doubt about it. Murray and Sexton are just a little bit below par at the moment and uh, it's affecting everything.
3: I've said this many times and and it's the same with England. Uh, It doesn't matter what depth you've got in your squad, there is a difference between someone being able to come in and do a job and then someone who actually, in aggregate with everyone else, makes the team a lot better. And it can be just one or two individuals. In this respect, uh, CJ Stander, if he is available for a return, will will he automatically go back in?
5: I'm not sure about that one. I think he will, surely because of the performance last week being so under par. And I think, certainly, it seems like Sean O'Brien's head is on the top being block this week. He wasn't in Belfast with the squad training, Standard is back and all the rumours are and chat is that he will slot straight back in there, but that being said, I think Standard's performance um, certainly has been a little bit below par too, uh, maybe he's just feeling fatigued and or maybe teams have worked him out somewhat, that can happen as well so certainly I think he himself would probably feel that he's not playing at the level that we'd have seen him play in the past, but I think in terms of this weekend, I think he will come back in, now there is also an argument for maybe someone like a Jack Conan uh, to be involved as well. There's talk of Dan Levy being uh, ready to come back in. He's one of the ones that certainly has been very badly missed. He's a superb player. So the talk that he may be available, and that adds another element to what they might do. And also Tyke Byrne, who has been outstanding for Munster since he moved, moved back there and has been badly missed in this Irish setup in the second row, can also cover back row should that need to be the case. So I think Stander will come back in for this week. I think they want to go back to maybe a little bit of the old guard and, and those that were there in the past to try and make it happen. So you're probably looking at Stander and O'Mahony and maybe Evander Fleer coming in there uh, at seven to try and uh, you know add a, a, a natural seven, a real poaching-style seven to that back row. Um, but I expect that to be the case. And I mean, we're looking at Ryan coming back this week as well. We're looking at Henderson being in or around the mix. You're looking at Ring rows being back in around things. So there are names coming back that certainly Schmidt would be happy to see coming back because I think I think they've just been feeling a little bit bare in the cupboard uh, in terms of having the personnel there that they need.
4: Hey Reggie, Ben Ryan here. Uh, how much hope do you think you've, you've got still in Ireland retaining the Six Nations title?
5: I don't think we will purely based on the numbers. I still think it's possible. I, I, I do expect us to win against France, I'll be honest. I don't think France are a whole lot. I mean, they're saying that we're going to win against France isn't saying that we're world beaters in our own right, because I think France are a mess at the moment, and, uh, you know, it's no great claim to fame if we go and beat France this weekend. I think the real test will be against Wales, especially over there, because, you know, they're just so difficult to beat in, in the millennium. And I think Warren Gatlin is a, a little bit of an enigma in terms of how he can manage to get this bunch of players to perform the way they do for Wales, considering the mess that is the Welsh set up at the moment. I mean, it's been well publicised this week that that the stuff and the turmoil that's going on there and what they're trying to do with the Ospreys and amalgamating regions and all sorts of stuff going on. So how he's managed to win 12 games in the trough with players who are kind of, don't even know their own futures is, is really quite amazing and huge credit to Gatlin for that one. And I think Wales are the type of team that when they get on a roll and they get a little bit bit of momentum behind them, as we saw against England, they're so difficult to stop. You know, they play with that old school passion that some teams kind of struggle to to pull out of the bag, but Wales always seem to get that, and especially at home. So in terms of can we win the championship, I don't believe we will because I think the points difference will be too difficult for us given what England have in front of them and what we have in front of them. And I think, you know, we'll... could well get a result against Wales, but we might well struggle as well. So I'm not too hopeful about that one. But I really don't think that's the issue. I think it's much more important that we kind of say to ourselves, look, the, the Six Nations are going to be forgotten pretty quickly. Um, you know, Come May, everybody will be well and truly over the Six Nations and all eyes will be on the end of this year and what's going to happen in the World Cup. So it's much more important for us to build towards that and to to try and get some confidence back in the squad for that than it is for the Six Nations, I think.
3: Well, if there's any comfort at all, and uh, probably not coming just from me, but you don't become a bad team with a, a couple of uh, reversals, and this Irish squad has a lot of talent. To, to me, it is absolutely essential, for whatever reason, that Sexton Murray r- recover their form. Once they do, I think everything will flow, you know, quite quite quickly and quite easily again.
5: Yeah, I, 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 yeah, like I said, there has been a little bit of. Overreaction here, to be honest with you, Brian, as well. I mean, people are pressing panic buttons and they're asking all sorts of questions. Um, I, I think that's been an overreaction. I think this team has earned the right to go out and show what they can do again. I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's certainly not in my eyes panic stations by any means. I, I do believe both Sexton and Murray are off form at the moment, but I mean, that, can, that happens to every player. I mean, we've seen that throughout the years. It can happen. And if the timing of that happens to be at the most crucial time of the year, well, then, you know, it shows up in the form of bad results. And I think that's what we're seeing. But I, I do believe they will both get themselves back. I think purely for Murray, I think he just needs more game time. He was out for quite a considerable length of time, you know, and there was all sorts of talk which he spoke about himself that 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 hurt him and affected him mentally and affected, you know, his family around him. And, he, you know, he was in the paper quoting all of that and saying that, that, that kind of stuff does does prey on your mind a little bit. So he needs to get all of that put away. And one really good performance will do that for him. So I think between Ireland in these next couple of games and the games that he still has to go with Munster, uh, there's plenty of time for him to regain his form and get himself back to the high confidence level. And I think if he does that, then it'll automatically trigger on to Sexton as well because the two work off each other when they're playing well, you know.
3: Well, it's better if you can have a dipping form to have it now. And not in Japan, so um, there is still time. Reggie, always great to speak to you, and thanks very much once again.
5: No worries, Brian. Thanks a lot. Good the
3: talk to you. Reggie Corrigan, the former Ireland prop. Well, Italy come to Twickenham. England have never lost to Italy. I don't expect that to change. Piresi is back in the mix. Uh, Campagnaro, not available. Former Benetton's been good mm. in the uh, Pro 14, and yet they're still struggling at The Six Nations level,
4: yeah. I, have they got better? They, I think there's two. Connor O'Shea's role as director of rugby or head coach of Italy is totally different to everybody else in the Six Nations. You know, he has a development, a, a serious development role in in what he's trying to do. And one of the greatest things he's probably he'll say he's done is managed to retain two professional franchises. You know, and because I think without those two clubs, they really would have struggled. And and Benetton are playing really well they beat Edinburgh 10 bill matter wasn't playing for edinburgh which is he's probably worth 10 points for them at the moment so that was probably the difference it does show that that things are slowly changing he's got such a small group of players to work with it's so paper thin his depth that it is a thankless task i think and but connor's been putting together lots of things that just go unnoticed that aren't going to be unfortunately we're going to talk too much about but as far as trying to create depth trying to help the, the network of support help the clubs all those other things I think he's you know from certainly from what I've heard and from the results of Benetton this season you could say he's doing a great job time now to switch
3: to the women's six nations really pleased to say we can speak to Daniel Nolly Waterman World Cup winning fullback with England hello Daniel
2: Hi, how are you doing? I'm
3: okay. Look, top of the table clash at Sandy Park, England, Italy. Both unbeaten.
2: I know, you wouldn't have thought it would be those two, um, that's for sure. But um, all credit to the Italians. Uh, They've had um, some good victories, actually, um, and played some really good rugby, and I'm looking forward to this weekend.
3: Where have they improved in particular?
2: Um, I think in, in terms of their composure. They've got a lot of experience in their back line, and I think they've always been renowned for having a lot of flair and liking to check the ball about and you know, using a variety of kicks but they really got their basics nailed down um, against Ireland last week and you know they're a tough side they've also found Franco she's a uh, number seven and is doing a lot of damage um, with ball carrying and she seems to be popping up here there and everywhere in the backs as well um, and uh, got a few tries
3: Will there be many changes made by Simon Middleton do you think?
2: I'm genuinely intrigued how he goes with selection because I think, you know, Italy cannot be underestimated and potentially we saw some of the players they deemed as their starting players against um, both Ireland and France, but there's such a depth um, in the England squad. Uh, it would be interesting to see. I'm, you know, intrigued, in particularly around the nine position. So, Leanne Riley going up against uh, Natasha Hunt, um, who's recently back from sevens. Yeah, there's some there's some good, tasty competition, which is always good for the Red Roses.
4: Hey, Nolly, Ben Ryan here. Hope you're well. Hi, ben. Couple of, th- I, I mean, personally, I think England will beat Italy by forty, but um, that's just <laughs> that's just me and if they don't, they. They need to perhaps have a look at what they're doing. It, it emerged that Exeter are looking that when the new, a bid for a new franchise to start a Premier 15s team, when the new licences come out, does it surprise you that only six Premiership sides have women's teams?
2: because of the investment in the women's game historically I think that Quinns at the moment are leading the way in terms of what they're doing with their women's team how they've integrated the men's and the women's and as a Southwest girl to to, to read that myself this week um, was pretty exciting mm. you know Exeter University have been a, a real stronghold for for university women's game with Joe Yap heading um, their programme up for the last few years and they're they're a real filter for Bristol. I think the only challenge at the RF you need to look at is that M5 corridor, and I don't think that there is enough players to sustain having real top quality between Worcester, Gloucester, Hartbury, Bristol, and then Exeter. But does that mean that I don't think Exeter should have it? Of course not. I think that they've got to look at who... Is going to provide the best package for the game, and by that I mean the, the all-round support. And it's not, you know, a tick-box exercise to have a women's game. It's actually really invested in terms of not just the kind of financial side to support, coaching, strength and conditioning, nutrition analysis, but also the one thing you're seeing from Harlequins is all of their marketing, all of their um, PR around getting the the women's team out there and really promoting the games. When they're especially held at the
3: Stoop. Well, if the Red Roses do win, that will be uh, their championship. It won't be the Grand Slam because they've still got Scotland to go. So remember, Sandy Park, Saturday 9th of March, Kickoff is at 5 past 12. is 12,800. Already 8,700 tickets sold, so there's still some room. So get along down there. Cheer on uh, what could, in fact, Ben Ryan confidently predict, should be. A title winning will be, will win. Just before you uh, go, Nolly, tell us about, you've got your own podcast, haven't you?
2: W- what's I it all have. about? Yep, so I started a podcast um, a few weeks ago uh, with Laura Jane Jones and we've called it The Try Hards and we just thought there's not really many female lead voices on podcasts um, around rugby, so why not give it a go? We have a great laugh, a good giggle, talk a bit about rugby, but you know, not just the women's side, talk a lot about the men's, talk about a bit of sevens. So, yeah, there's something for everyone really and it's been really good fun doing it, actually and, and so far we've had a good response.
3: Well, that's great. Yeah, you're right. There are not enough women's voices, not enough focus on the women's game. Let's hope it's really successful. Just tell everyone how they can get hold of it, how they can download it, how they can subscribe.
2: Well, not that I'm very technological, but it is on iTunes, Spotify and Acas, and it's a try-hard podcast. Yeah, and it's kind of, It's on social media as well, so we've got Instagram and Twitter that both myself and Laura-Jane will be promoting.
3: Best of luck with that. I'm sure it'll be a great success. Thank you very much for speaking to us.
2: Awesome. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Look, this just goes to show, podcasts, live feeds, the women's game is growing. The game of rugby needs the women's game to be really successful, doesn't it?
4: Yeah, totally. And it's great. Nolly's a bit of a pioneer, really. It's good that she's, she actually says what she thinks most of the time. Well, all of the time, actually. She's outspoken. It's great. And, um, and you know, she's now set the first podcast, really, that two, two female rugby, rugby, what would I call them now? Pundits, I guess. Nolly's stopped playing at international <laughs> level. Um, but, but that'll mean others will follow as well. And, and, yeah, opportunities commercially and things like that for the women's game, you know, and it is really important, you know, and and... You know, everyone forgot about it about a decade ago when we tried the World Rugby bid for the Olympics. And then they realised that their bid didn't include women. And so the Olympics oh, quickly shot that one down. Just a bit of an oversight. Um, and we'll try again in four years' time. And they did. And obviously took, took the game far more seriously. And, and yeah, no, it's, it, it's great. And going back to like that, you know, England will win by a, a lot. And not be disparaging to the Italians, but there's a big gulf in quality between these two sides.
3: Uh, you know, when they'll know they've made it is when they start getting trolled properly on social media. <laughs> is that something to look forward to? <laughs> no, it's not something to look forward to, but that is a mark of success because yeah. people don't want to bring you down if you're not doing anything and you're not making a difference. So I've,
4: I've got a long way. I'm just getting the ginger, anti-ginger thing. That's <laughs> about it, really.
3: Daniel, just have a hair trigger with the block or even better than mute button because mute's much funnier because they think that you can read them and you are reading them and you're not and they're just wasting the time.
4: Yeah, there you go. Good one, that one.
3: Bend the table as it stands at the moment, Wales it's all in their own hands, win two games, Grand Slam champions take the title. but I wouldn't say it's a very difficult fixture away at Murrayfield the way Scotland have been playing, but it's not necessarily straightforward
4: no no it's not and and I think we talked about this earlier, Scotland have got a, a game in them I think and and you know at Murrayfield things could change i think it I think it will come down to though, that island game in, in millennium. And I think England will put enough points on the board against Italy to get their points in favour that it will mean if Wales don't knock over Ireland, England win the championship. But it's, it's you know, I think if, you, if you're if you looking at Cardiff, they've got one game to win the Grand Slam at home against reigning Six Nations champions. I, can, I can't see Wales not not falling over at this point.
3: No, I think they're definitely favourites. However, you know, I'm not really a betting man, but even so, I wouldn't be putting an awful lot more money on Wales than England and I think the book is actually and you can't necessarily take exactly you know the odds as portent England are reasonably close with Wales to, to take the title and I suppose you just need one you know against Ireland if they are on form you just need one 20 minute period where it doesn't go right and you ship too many points so and it's all in Wales hands I expect them to do it I wouldn't put my mortgage on it that's all we've got time for on this week's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Thank you very much to my co-host Ben Ryan and my producer, as always, Abid Patterson. Please subscribe to the podcast, leave a review if you haven't already. But for now, it's goodbye.